Whenever you flick a wine glass, it begins to oscillate back and forth, and that's what makes it ring. And, but when you add the vibration of your voice, the sound waves, at the same frequency, it causes vibrations or that oscillation to get larger. That's called amplitude. And eventually it gets so large that the glass breaks. And so that phenomenon is called resonance. Resonance is when you have a vibrating force, like the voice, that affects another object, like the glass, in such a way that it begins to vibrate as well with greater and greater intensity. You see this with tuning forks, you do the same thing. One vibrates, you put it up next to another one, it will begin to vibrate the same. That is resonance. Now listen, every life has resonance. Every life has resonance. Uh, you, people that you know, uh, they're living a certain way and they impact the people around them, sometimes for good or for bad. You may know of examples of negative resonance, right? Where somebody is, just the way they live their life has impacted you in a negative way. But the same is true in a positive way. You may know some people that really walk with God. They love the Lord. They're a great husband, great wife. They're great with their families. And just their example kind of resonates with you and you want to be like them. And I'm so thankful for people like that in my own life. I've got parents that did that for me, continue to do that for me. I have people that disciple me over the years that just their life continues to resonate in my life. And I'm sure you've got examples like that. So yes, every life has resonance, but every church has resonance as well. You know, when you think about when Jesus started the church, he started the church with a powerful, get this, gospel resonance. I mean, just the power of the gospel and the message of the gospel and their changed lives began to ring out from Jerusalem so much so that in about 20 years, most of the known world was hearing about Jesus Christ. Church were being planted all over the known world. That's called powerful gospel resonance. In contrast to that, you've seen a lot of churches that have closed their doors. A recent article by The Guardian called Losing Their Religion uh, put it this way. It said about 4,500 Protestant churches closed in 2019 with about 3,000 new churches opening according to LifeWay research. Think about that. 4,500 closing, 3,000 opening. That deficit of 1,500 churches a year is devastating. Especially when you take into account population growth. So we're falling behind. And why is it we have churches right around us that are closing their doors? Why is that? They, they started off right. They started off with the gospel. They started off in the right way with a vision, with direction. But somewhere along the way, what they lost was their gospel resonance. They no longer resounded the gospel as they once did. So I want to talk about that today. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking in this series called Resonance. We're going to look at what is gospel resonance exactly? What, is, what are the elementary pieces or the essential elements of gospel resonance in a church? And if a church has it, what impact does it have on, on individuals? What impact does it have on families? And what impact does it have on cultures? 
okay, as we plant gospel resonating churches. Here's the, the big idea, the big thought for today is that the church that has gospel resonance is a church that really makes a difference in the world. And I, I, my hope and prayer is that we never lose our gospel resonance, right? We never lose that. So I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open up with me. We're going to do what we do. Open up God's word. Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. You're going to open up to two different places. Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke, and the first chapter of the book of Acts. Now let me tell you why we're going to two places. Because the person Luke, who was a doctor, who was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul, actually wrote two books that are in our Bible. One is the Gospel of Luke, that bears his name, and the book of Acts. It's a two-part set. The first one talks about the, the, the life and ministry of Jesus. The second one, the book of Acts, the life and ministry and beginning of the early church. And so Luke writes both of them. And so we're going to look at the last, last words of the gospel of Luke and the first few words of the book of Acts. And you're going to see how they overlap together in one actual event. Okay. And there in that event, we're going to learn what are the essential ingredients of gospel resonance? Now, let me kind of set the stage here. Jesus has already died and raised from the dead, been raised from the dead. He's already appeared to a few people. Now he's appearing to his disciples in an upper room behind locked doors. And of course, they're shocked, right? But Jesus is going to speak to them. And as he speaks to them, he's going to speak to them about their gospel resonance. Okay, so I'm going to give you three elements that are essential for gospel residents. Just go ahead and write the first one down. Here it is. The first one is greater clarity on the gospel. Greater clarity on the gospel. Look at Luke 24, verse 44. Uh, this is the word of God. Amen. And he told them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. The first element that we need of gospel resonance is a clarity on the gospel itself. You can't have gospel resonance if you don't know what the gospel is. And here Jesus is appearing to his disciples for the, the first time. And of course they're shocked. And it says here that Jesus reminded them that none of this is new. All right, He had been telling them that this was going to happen. We know at least three different times prior to his death, he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. I mean, it was very obvious, very clear, but they just couldn't get it. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't put all the pieces together. And so you see here what Jesus, verse 45, that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, this is really important. And it's a great reminder for us that really only God can open up our hearts and our minds to the gospel. 
You know, it's one thing for me to stand up on a Sunday morning and share the gospel with you. And there are some people, they hear it and they're cut to the heart and God moves in their, in their lives and changes them in a profound way. And then somebody else hears the same message, same time, but is unmoved. Why is that? Because only God can open up your heart and open up your mind. Same thing is true when you're sharing the gospel with a neighbor and you're like, man, I've shared it like 10 different times and God's, you know, nothing's happening. It's not that you're doing anything wrong. God has to open their minds to the gospel. And so here is Jesus. He opens their minds to understand all that the scripture has said. In fact, look at, look at what he says here in verse 44. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, he's saying the gospel didn't start with Jesus. The gospel didn't start in the New Testament. The gospel started all the way back at the beginning. All the way back in the Old Testament, they were, there were messages and prophecy about the Messiah who would come, this Messiah who would live, this Messiah who would bring life and light, this Messiah who would die and be buried and, and rise again. All these have been prophecies in the Old Testament. In fact, he, Jesus said everything written in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch or the Torah, Right? And then he says, oh, and the prophets, that's the major and minor prophets, that, that, that collection of books that we have in the Old Testament, the prophets. And then, of course, the Psalms and wisdom literature, all of these are pointing to the validity of Jesus Christ, calling out, pointing the way, giving us identifying marks that when he shows up, we will know him when we see him. Jesus said all this was written beforehand. I love what John Calvin said. He said, if one were to sift thoroughly the law and all the prophets, he would not find a single word which would not draw and bring us to Jesus. Uh, the Bible is, is a whole story. It's a meta-narrative. It begins in Genesis, ends in Revelation. It's all one epic story of the coming of the Lord Jesus and the salvation he provides for us. But here is Jesus. He's meeting with these guys. He's opening up their minds to the gospel. And then he kind of summarizes what the gospel is. This is one of the unique places in the Bible, one of the only ones I know, where Jesus actually summarizes the gospel from the Old Testament. Okay, so this is, this is awesome. Look at what he says. Verse 46. As it was written, speaking now of the Old Testament, the Messiah will suffer. He will rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Look at the elements of the gospel. Number one, the Messiah, this promised one would come. He will come in the line of David. He'll come of the tribe of Judah. He's going to be born in a certain town, be born in a certain time, be born in a certain tribe. He's going to be raised in a certain city. Uh, all these prophecies lined up perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. The Messiah will come. It says that he will, he will uh, suffer an atoning sacrifice for sin. Number three, that he will uh, rise again on the third day, defeating death and the grave and sin. Number four, that he will, that repentance and forgiveness will be proclaimed in his name. That this message will not just be only for the Jewish people, but it will be for all nations. 
And then ultimately it says that it will begin, this movement will begin in Jerusalem and explode from there. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that just what the book of Acts tells us is exactly what happened? Jesus is summarizing here what the gospel is for us. Listen, we have to have uh, clarity on the gospel. If we're going to have gospel resonance, we've got to have clarity on what the gospel is. Now, you're saying, Craig, we, we get that. Why are you telling us this? Because we're living in a day when there's confusion about the gospel. We're living in a day when, when people stand on behind pulpits and in churches and preach things that are another gospel. Galatians chapter 1 says, if anyone comes to you preaching another gospel, let him be condemned. Yeah, you can actually have a thing that kind of sounds like the gospel, but is not the gospel itself. You say, well, can you be a little bit more specific? Well, yeah, I, I can. Uh, since you asked. <laughs> you know, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel, right? Where it has nothing to do with sin and repentance, all about your next bonus and your next promotion. That's not the gospel. We have this thing called the deconstruction gospel, where we're going to tear apart the validity and authority of God's word. That's not the gospel. We have a thing called the social gospel out there now, where it's all about social justice and not about calling people to salvation in Christ alone. These things are very popular today. Their churches filled with them, yet they're not preaching the gospel. That's another, uh, that's another gospel. But what we're called to preach is a biblical gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where your gospel resonance starts. You cannot resonate the gospel without knowing what the gospel is. And so we can't be ashamed. We have to preach this gospel. We have to talk about this gospel. We have to live out the gospel. We have to have this in our conversation. We have to sprinkle it in our conversations at work. This is what it means to be bold with the gospel. Unashamed. The, the apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Because it is the power of God salvation for everyone who believes first for the Jew and then for the Gentile it's for the whole world Amen. thank you very much I was waiting for one I was what I was waiting for it was like somebody here please hey we gotta get we gotta get serious about the gospel God God forbid that we would ever in this church lose our gospel resonance because we forget the gospel so we, gotta, we got to uh, have clarity on the gospel, unashamed, unabated, undeterred, unafraid. We, we, gospel resonance begins with clarity, greater clarity on the gospel. Point number two, write this down. Not only do you need greater clarity in the gospel, but we need greater dependency on the spirit. Greater dependency on the spirit. Look at Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus speaking again, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city. This is what he's telling them to do. Stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Now, what did the farmer father promise that he would send? He promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. Jesus already talked to him about this. This isn't any new information. He had already covered this with him. In fact, if you want to know where, jot in the margin of your Bible, Luke 14, verse 16 and 17. 
Luke 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room. And he said this, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is a spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. He's talking here about the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is a third person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, one God, three persons. The Holy Spirit is uh, the promise that the Father uh, promised to give us after the ascension of Jesus Christ. In fact, notice here, the Holy Spirit is called a counselor. In your Bible, it may be another word in John 14, verse 16. He may be called uh, a counselor, maybe called an advocate. Some versions say helper. I actually like the word helper better uh, just because I understand that word. He's helping me. Anybody need a helper? Man, I need a helper. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I need a helper. And so here he is, he's here to help you. And what does Jesus say about him? That he's gonna be with you forever. That he's the, the spirit of truth. He's gonna reveal truth to you. He's gonna empower you to speak truth out. He's gonna empower you to live the Christian life. He's not only gonna be around you, he's gonna be in you and he's gonna be with you forever. It was this Holy Spirit that would, would come on them at Pentecost and would fuel the Christian movement. That was the promise that Jesus, Jesus said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. I want you to wait here until the Father's promise. Now, here's the cool thing I want to show you. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Now, remember just what he just said. He said, uh, uh, I'm going to wait here for the Father's promise until you're empowered on high. Now, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. You're going to see that this is the very same account where he, the account he ends with in Luke, he picks back up with in Acts chapter 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. See, same thing. Which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. That is at Pentecost. That's when that baptism of the Spirit will come. Then look down at verse 8, and you will be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what did Jesus tell them to do? Remember, he's with them. He told them to do something. What did he tell them to do? To wait. To wait. Wait for the Father's promise. Luke 24, 49. Stay until you've been empowered. How long did they wait? Well, probably they waited about 10 days. And the reason why I say 10 days is because we know Jesus appeared over a 40-day period of time. And then at Pentecost, that was the 50 days after the Passover. So that was probably meant that they waited about 10 days after Jesus' ascension, waiting and praying, waiting and praying, waiting and praying for the Spirit of God to empower them uh, for the work. And why did they have to wait? This is really important. They had to wait because, yes, Jesus had trained them for three and a half years. He had trained them. He had prepared them. He had equipped them. They knew exactly what to do. They had followed his model. But yet they were in and of themselves unable to do it by their own willpower. 
This launching of the Christian movement could not happen just because they're just clever preachers, right? Or they just had great leadership skills. No, they had to have something greater than that. They had to have a spiritual power working within them. That's what exploded the early church was the movement of the Spirit of God. And that's what they had to wait for. Some of you may remember in February of 2021 when several Arctic storms blew across Texas. You remember this? Yeah, you remember that. I'm sorry to bring it back up, all right? Many of you were without power for multiple days. 75% of the United States at this point was covered with ice and snow from these multiple Arctic storms that are blowing all across the country. Uh, during this time period, record lows were recorded over 4.5 million Texans were without power. Here we were. Uh, now, we were burning our wood in our fireplaces, and, and we, were, we were doing anything we could to get power, but uh, we had wonderful homes, wonderful buildings, but no power. That's what a lot of churches are like. Beautiful buildings, pristine programs, polished sermons, uh, uh, very meticulous uh, musical worship, but no power. No power. In fact, there are some churches that the Holy Spirit could leave it. They wouldn't even notice it for quite a while, right? Because there's no power there. And that's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for, for Holy Spirit power uh, to come on them so that they could fulfill this work that God has for them. Now, what, what does that mean? What are you talking about, Craig? What are you talking about this spirit power? Well, here's what I want you to understand first and foremost, that you receive the Holy Spirit at the point of your conversion. When you are saved, you are regenerated by the Spirit. That means come back to life by the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live within you. You are sealed, Ephesians 1 says. When you heard the word and you turned in repentance and faith, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But listen, that same Spirit that seals you is also the same Spirit that wants to empower you for every day of your life. And so many times we grieve the Spirit of God and we ignore the Spirit of God and we don't walk in the power that the Spirit wants us to walk in. And so how do we do that? How, do we, how are we filled with the Spirit of God? That's why multiple times we're told to be filled with the Spirit. How does that happen? It happens through waiting and praying, waiting and praying, waiting and praying. Just like this early church did. For 10 days, they waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed. You'll find if you keep reading in the book of Acts, some tragedy would happen. They would gather, they would wait on God and they would pray. And they'd be filled again with the Spirit of God and go out of boldness. And then another tragedy, they would wait and pray and filled again. This is the repeated pattern of the early church. That they were a praying church. A church that waited on God and asked God to move and go before them in a powerful way. Can I just, can I just talk to you as your pastor here for just a minute? Or I just gotta, I gotta hear my heart. And my greatest fear is that we can have great programs and great leaders, but not have Holy Spirit power in our church. And listen, God has entrusted so much to us, has he not? Hasn't he entrusted so much to us? I mean, think about all the ministers that we have going on in our local community. Think about all the things that we have going on around the world and churches we're planting. How in the world can we do that? 
How? How can we do that? He said, Craig, I hope you could go to another leadership conference, man. I hope you could just go to the next level. No, I, I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't do it apart from the Spirit of God. You know, God can use anybody, right? And God wants to use us. He longs to fill his people. But we have to wait on him and seek him and cry out to him just like they did in the early church. And that's really what tonight's all about. Tonight is not just about, we're going to come tonight at worship. It's going to be great. The band's going to be awesome. And we're going to, you know, we're going to hear, yeah, we'll listen to some videos. And you know, no, 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 you're going to miss the point. The reason why we're coming tonight is I'm calling on the church to get on our knees. We're going to lift up our voice in prayer. We're going to get on our knees in prayer. We're going to cry out to God. God, here's, Lord, here, here our church plants in, in Israel. God, protect them and watch over. God, here's our church plants in Africa. The God, God, we want to just pour, pour uh, resources in and fuel on, God, what's already happening there. God, we want to be a part of what you're doing around the world. That's what tonight's about. So I just, I just beg you to come tonight. Look, the Cowboys will have already lost. I mean, already played by that point. <laughs> you know, there's, not, there's no baseball game. Just, come on, man. Can we, can we just get here tonight? huh? And, and let's, just, let's just seek God together. What if, what, if, what if the Spirit of God just moved in such a powerful way through us that God could see us resonate, our influence resonate all over the world? I believe God wants to do that. I believe God can do it if we'll seek him for it. So gospel resonance, we got to have clarity on the gospel, number one. Uh, number two, we have to have a sense of dependency on the Holy Spirit. Here's the last one. We have to have greater urgency in our witness. Greater urgency in our witness. If you look at Acts 1 verses uh, six and seven, they're like, Jesus, okay, is now the time you're gonna establish your kingdom? He's like, you know, like kick the Romans out and you're gonna be in charge and we're gonna be with you. And he's like, no, 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 <laughs> that day's gonna come. Trust me, the day's gonna come. Every knee is gonna bow, every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is gonna rule and reign from uh, Jerusalem. We know our end times theology, all right? We know that day's coming. Hey, the day's sooner than you think. Hey, hey, it's sooner than it was last week. But he said, not yet. Some things have to happen. But there's another job I have for you to do. And look at what he says in verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Notice what they are to be. They are to be his, what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Uh, the Greek word is martyress. Does that sound like another word that you know? Martyress. Martyr. Is where we get that word, to witness. And of course, in the early church, uh, they were martyred for their faith. They were people just like you, just like me. They had families, they had children, they had homes. And they gave it all for the sake of the gospel to be a witness to Jesus Christ. You know, in, in the United States, uh, you're not going to get it too bad if you're a witness. I mean, you might get somebody uh, frowning on you or uh, call you a name, maybe have a impact your career in a negative way at the worst. But you know what? Our brothers and sisters in Christ that are right now in West Africa, they literally put their lives on the line. I mean, while we sit 
in safety. They are literally putting their own lives on, on the line to be a witness to the Lord Jesus. And they depend on us to help them. He said, you will be my witnesses. How? No, that's what we're to do. How are we to do it? He gives us a strategy. Jerusalem, that is the city of Jerusalem. Judea, which is the surrounding region. Samaria, another different kind of people living in Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. And it's kind of concentric circles, right? Jerusalem, that's people that are like you. Judea is the people that are around you. Samaria are people not like you. And to the ends of the earth, there are people that are far from you. Right? That's how the gospel rings out. And that's what Jesus told us to do. Every gospel resonant church follows that same pattern. And listen, we're following that pattern. You are following that pattern. I, I tell you what, I, when, when I just look at what you're doing right here in our local community, it makes me so proud. And I know, I know it makes the Lord proud. I mean, many of you have, have helped with our uh, seniors, uh, uh, serving seniors uh, right here in our, in our community area where we're taking food and clothing uh, to seniors that can't provide for themselves. Many of you helped with uh, families that are battling childhood cancer just a couple of weeks ago. Many of you helped make backpacks possible for underprivileged families. Many of you are dealing with women that are coming out of abuse. Many of you are a part of homeless ministries that you're going down there and you're making a difference right there. That, that comes from you. I'm not making that up. That's ministry that's happening on a weekly basis right here out of this church. Some of you are going to be in the schools here in just a couple of weeks for our night of hope, sharing the gospel and loving on people in their schools and giving them gifts for Christmas. Many of you are going to be a part of inviting people on our campus on Christmas Eve. I mean, that's ministry right here in our local area. But we're also about ministry that's far beyond where we can even go and even see. And that's why we've got over 22 church plants now across the United States and around the world. Places in, in Canada and in Europe, in Africa, places in Israel, uh, places all, all over the world where God is using you to plant churches that multiply and plant more churches. And that's why, well, that's what the Big Give is all about. You know, I, I've, I've said this every year, I, and you know this is true. I can say this with confidence. My conscience is clear before God. I don't ask you for money like any time throughout the year, all right? I'm not here going, oh, we got to make budget. You know, some of the finance people might want me to do that. I don't do that. All right? But one time a year in November, I always ask you unashamed to give more than you think you can. Why? Because on the big give, we collect what God puts in our hands and we send it to an initiative that will really advance the kingdom of God in an, in, in an intentional way. In, in the past, we've given to Israel. And aren't you glad we planted those churches now in Israel? Because they're literally on the front lines. That's who's handing out these goods to, and, and ministering to these soldiers, the churches you helped plant. Uh, aren't you glad that we planted those churches in West Africa before? Because now these churches are multiplying and growing and there's, there's a movement of God happening in Africa because of you. And that's why the Big Give is going to West Africa just simply to pour fuel on the movement that's already happening. You know, Clay and Zach went to Zambia uh, just a couple of months ago. And while they were there, uh, they met uh, Patrick as one of our church planters. He was here on our campus last year for our summit. 
And Patrick got so fired up at it from our summit that he went back and planted another church. We didn't even know about it till like later. Oh yeah, I planted another church. Oh, well, it'd be good to know that you planted a church. And he went to a very impoverished part of, of the city and gathered a handful of people. And while Clay and Zach were there, he was telling them about the church plant. And he said, yeah, there are going to be people gathering. Let me show you. And so they went there. And then right as they pulled up, Patrick turned to Clay and said, oh, by the way, you're preaching. And so he's like, oh, okay, good to know. You know, he's like, I don't even have a Bible with me. So like somebody's handing him a Bible and, and Clay opened up God's word and talked about making disciples of all nations and challenged them to make disciples of all nations. Uh, preaching in their churches, being a part, helping build those facilities. Listen, this is a part of what God is doing there tonight. You're going to hear more about the spiritual movement that's happening in Africa that we could not uh, even imagine or fan, uh, fathom in our own mind, but we get to be a part of it. So Big Give is all about fanning the flame. It's all about participating with what is already happening by God in these places. We've got to have a sense of urgency, right? Urgency in our witness. That's what gospel resonance is. Think about gospel resonance. What is it comprised of? It is comprised of clarity on the gospel. It is comprised of dependency on the Holy Spirit. And it's comprised of urgency with the gospel. When those things come together, you have a church that is just vibrating with gospel resonance. And you have churches that died. Those are the pieces that they lost somewhere along the way. So think back to Chase from California, right? That, that broke the glass, right? With his voice, right? The, the, the voice, his one voice actually brought about change that he could see. That broken glass was evidence of the power of his one voice. And it, when I saw that, it made me think, wow, we, we can't even fully understand the power of our one voice. If we all together declared with one voice the gospel, if we all together declared and gave and worked together as one voice with one heart to get the gospel out right here and around the world, we can't even imagine the impact that we could have for eternity. I love what Paul said to a church in Thessalonica. He said, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. May God say that about us. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? I want you just to be still what is the Spirit of God saying to you? Are you a person that has gospel resonance? Is your walk with God so obvious that other people are being encouraged and stimulated to walk with God? As a part of this church, are you willing to be a part of our church having gospel resonance? Maybe you are here today and you said, Craig, I'm, I'm, 
I want my life to make a difference, but I don't know that I've ever really been changed by the gospel. I mean, in the size of a crowd like this, there are probably many people that you've been very church, you've come to church, but you've not been changed by Jesus. But the gospel changes you. And the gospel is very simple that we have sinned against God. We've lost our own way. We've fallen away from God. We are enemies of God. We no longer glorify God with our life. And our sin has separated us from God, but Jesus came. The Messiah came, just as he said, just as all the Old Testament prophets foretold, that he came and he died on the cross for your sin. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day for your sin. And, and he even now is offering forgiveness for your sin. See, it's our sin that put him on the cross. It's our sin that he died to pay. And out of his great love for you, he gave his life. Out of his great love for you, he offered himself as the full and final sacrifice. Have you responded to him in repentance and faith? Have you confessed your sin to Christ? Have you asked him to forgive you and wash you clean? And if you say, well, I'm just not sure, you can be sure right now. This moment is for you. The Spirit of God is moving in your heart right now. If you're here and you say, I, that's what I want. I want, I want to be changed. Just with your heads bowed, nobody looking around, just lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. That hand going up just as a reminder a declaration that I need Christ. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Other hands come but on. Somebody else. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. Lift up your hand. All right, lift it up. Spirit of God's drawing you. Don't resist him. Spirit of God convicting you. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. In this moment, the Spirit of God is convicting many people in this room. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. If you've raised your hand, pray with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I have gone my own way and I'm so sorry Jesus I believe you died on a cross for me and you rose again from the dead so I'm asking you now please forgive me wash me clean make me new I turn from my sin put my trust and faith in you alone thank you for loving me thank you for forgiving me and making me new Father I thank you for the power of the gospel that changes lives that washes souls clean renews us, brings new life into us. 
Lord, thank you for the, the hope of the gospel. And Lord, I pray as a church that we would be a, a church that's unashamed of the gospel. God, I pray that we would be a church that's on our knees crying out, God, for you to move in a supernatural way. God, I pray that we would have an urgency about us to get out of this building and into our community and to, to plant churches around the world that will resonate the gospel until you come. Oh, God, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Use us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,